0: Welcome back to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You. Now, firstly, I need to apologize because this episode was originally recorded, or so I thought, and then when I went to go get the data, there was nothing there. So I actually did record two episodes last time and was hoping to get them out to you so you'd have some content. You know, if you've been listening, it's a struggle to keep that content coming with the full-time job and my two kiddos as well. So I'm going to re-record this episode because I felt like this was a really interesting and important conversation to have. This was based on an article somebody sent me from the New York Times called, Don't Go Down the Rabbit Hole. And I remember when somebody sent it to me, I was thinking, okay, what's this going to be about? Now, the New York Times is a huge publication. So the fact that they create pieces like this, and of course, you know, this is considered an opinion piece. Knowing that the audience is so vast, in my opinion, is pretty dangerous, Because what we're seeing now and what we've seen for many years, and you know what? We've probably seen this for decades. We just haven't been paying attention. Is this very subtle normalizing of certain things, certain beliefs, uh, certain directions for the public to guide their belief systems. It's like it's very clear what they're trying to do. But what happens is if they just do it enough, if they just write about it enough and you hear it enough before you know it, you start agreeing with it just because you've seen it so many times. And this is kind of the subliminal thing that we see happening across the board on all controversial issues, the powers that be. And who are the powers that be? The way I look at it, the people pulling the strings. A lot of times these are big industry. These are the people who have more money than you could even conceptualize. When there is a direction they are looking to go, and it requires shifting public opinion in a certain direction to go in accordance with that, then there is this plan put into action. Now, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not a fringe belief. This is fact. Big industry has utilized PR techniques and PR campaigns to shift public perception probably much longer than we realize. And the reason they do that is they realize Americans, in our case, are easy to shape. We are easy to be molded as far as what we think, what we believe, what our convictions are. And maybe part of that comes from the fact that I don't know that we really have convictions anymore. Like it sort of seems like to me, everybody just goes with the direction of the wind. Whatever anybody says is what they believe now. And if that changes, then they change too. Nobody seems to really commit to a belief system and stick with it and ride it out even if it's the unpopular belief system. And this is what I was saying to somebody at work the other day. Ultimately, there have been a lot of people that have disagreed with what we're seeing with the pandemic over the last year and a half, right? There have been a lot of people that disagree with it. But were they vocal about it? No. They stayed silent. Why? Because people need peer approval more than they need to have their principles. More than they need to commit to a belief system. More than they need to stand up for what is true to themselves. They need to be accepted by others even more than being honest or true to themselves. That's how much we are these communal creatures we need to be accepted. We want that peer approval, and so people hired to help create media campaigns to formulate and shape ideas. Essentially, these are very grand scale focus groups. Now, I was part of a focus group a couple. Of, was it a couple of times? At least once. It was about the creation of some. Fruit hybrid. And they basically had all these different versions, and you had to try different parts of it. And what they were asking was, How do you feel about this? What language would make you feel better? What if it looked like this? What if we called it this? Then what would you think of it? And it was pretty fascinating to me how much goes into products and the creation of products and the advertising of products. It's all about what people think about it and how to shape how people think about it. It's really not so much about the product, or a lot of times it's not. And what we're seeing right now with the COVID vaccine, for example, and I'm going to do this on a different episode, is the very heavy PR campaign, much like the flu shot campaign, that is designed to make you feel a certain way about getting it. It's all about incentivizing you. And so this piece I'm going to read today, Don't Go Down the Rabbit Hole, New York Times, this is all about making sure you don't step out of that box. They want you just to stay right nice and neatly inside that box. And it's very interesting why they tell you you should and how they describe people and their capacity to understand anything other than the most simple thing. So this article, again, it's Don't Go Down the Rabbit Hole by Charlie Warzel. I don't know how to say his last name. The sub-line, the sub-headline here says, critical thinking, as we're taught to do it, isn't helping in the fight against misinformation. So first and foremost, critical thinking is bad. This is the way that they're saying it, right? Critical thinking isn't helping. Critical thinking may be dangerous. Critical thinking is perpetuating misinformation. So don't go down the rabbit hole. These are just the first two lines. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about a guy who is a digital literacy expert, Washington State University. Not going to make a political joke. However, Washington State. Okay. He says, and I quote, more people are fighting for the opportunity to lie to you than at perhaps any other point in human history. More people are vying for that spot on your newsfeed and your social media to lie to you. So now what he wants you to think is, everybody is dangerous. Everybody is a risk. Don't believe anything that you read. Don't believe anything that you see. Again, the the tone of this is designed to make you feel a certain way. And what's the emotion? We've talked about this. What is the emotion that drives people the most? Fear. Fear. So not only do you need to be afraid for all these other things that can happen in the environment or random acts that basically, you know, environmental acts and random acts that cause death and and danger and risk, but now you need to be afraid of your social media because more people are fighting for the opportunity to lie to you than perhaps at any other time in human history, he says. The funny thing is he's probably right. Except the people fighting to lie to you aren't your peers. They aren't other citizens. They are the people controlling what information you get to see in the first place. So then they go on to talk about misinformation. How misinformation is coming from social media platforms. And it makes it nearly impossible to stop because there is so much misinformation. This is another buzzword. It's kind of funny how we're talking about this PR campaign, how you see buzzword after buzzword every single time they put together a campaign. They've got a handful of sound bites. You know, we saw all of those with COVID, like the new normal and do your part, uh, stay safe, um, all the different things that they use. And then you start hearing people repeat them all the time, like not even realizing they're just picking up on what they've been told, like they have no clue. It's actually, I mean, for me, I I find it a little bit funny because as soon as I hear somebody say those phrases, I know immediately, like, where you got that from. That was not your original thought. But what we've seen over the last maybe two years with this attempt to censor everything on social media is it always comes down to this one word, misinformation. Nobody's really gone on to actually explain what misinformation is. And if you really sat and thought about it, Pretty much it would be a subjective thing in general, misinformation. Information is a subjective thing, so misinformation certainly is. Who decides what information is misinformation? Who decides what is acceptable, right, accurate, whatever? Whoever decides that is looking through their own lens. I mean, that's the whole reason we have freedom of speech. Is that there really is? It's not fair to have somebody decide what is accurate, valid, true, because it all depends so much on your personal experience. For somebody who's never experienced vaccine injury, maybe vaccine injury isn't true. So if the person who never experienced it is going to be the one at the gate, the gatekeeper deciding what information's allowed on social media, then he gets to be the one that says, nope. Any discussion about vaccine injury is misinformation. But again, that's only because he hasn't experienced it personally. So it's not true for him. So you see this phrase misinformation used a lot, and it's always used by the same, and I don't want to, I don't want to sound like extremist by saying this, but by the same like propaganda machine. And I'm only saying this because you just see it time and time again, and you know it's true. You know what I'm saying? is This is not like jumping on board some alternative belief system. I'm saying it's pretty clear at this point that you've got people crafting a message, crafting a narrative, ideas, crafting what they want you to think about what's really going on. Again, how they want you to feel about something. So misinformation is a big part of how you know who is behind what you're reading. If you see the word misinformation in there, it's like instantly part of a recipe right there. And that's the benefit of being astute and paying attention to details. You have to know how to decipher. So it's ironic because this entire article is essentially talking about how to decipher through information on on social media. But what they're doing is literally, you know, falling right in line with an exact recipe for a PR campaign of how they want people to think about information on social media. I mean, it's so psychological. And it's kind of scary when you think about it, if you're allowed to think about it. (laughs) So he talks about this misinformation, right? It's just happening so frequently, it's impossible to stop. And so he says that makes it an unfair fight for the average internet user. For Joe Schmo, who goes online, this this dude's just an average internet user. The fact that there's so much quote misinformation makes it an unfair fight for poor Joe. He said the deck is stacked against him. And they go on to describe the way that we are taught from a young age to evaluate and to think critically about information, he says, is fundamentally flawed. It's fundamentally flawed. How we've been taught to think critically is fundamentally flawed. The only flaw that they see, they being the ones who are shaping and forming this public opinion. The only flaw is that you're thinking critically at all. The only flaw is that you're trying to question and debate and decipher information. So he says the way we're taught to think critically is flawed, but really the only flaw is the fact that we are thinking critically. That makes it difficult for people whose main goal is to get you to comply with whatever it is. It's not always an action step. It's not always to get a vaccine. It could be comply with a belief system that we are in this very dangerous pandemic and everybody's dying left and right. That could be enough for them to want to get you to comply and they'll create whatever they need to create to get you there. So he says, quote, it's often counterproductive to engage directly with content from an unknown source and people can be led astray by false information. Let astray, again, danger, right? False information. You can really pay attention to the language that they use. Like, don't go down that dark alley. It's dangerous. You don't want to go down there. I mean, you're essentially setting up the fear before anything has happened to convince people not to look down the alley. Don't look at what's over there. It could be very dangerous. So you're not even going to look that way. So this digital literacy expert, quote expert, Caulfield, says that the best way to find information online is to leave the information source and go look elsewhere. He calls this lateral reading. And so he uses two examples, and I want you to pay very close attention to the two examples he uses. First example is a white supremacy group. Not sure what this has to do at all with critical thinking and deciphering information on social media. Yet, here it is. So he talks about some kind of message board called Stormfront. It's a white supremacy group, apparently. And he said, this is what he says. He says, even if you see through the horrible rhetoric at the end of the day, you gave that place many minutes of your time. He said, even with good intentions, you run the risk of misunderstanding something because Stormfront users are way better at propaganda than you. You won't get less racist reading that, that information critically, but you might be overloaded by information and overwhelmed. Man, there's just so much here in this one paragraph. He talks about the fact that you even went there and you gave them their time. That's part of the problem. You had good intentions, but you're probably going to misunderstand something because the users at this white supremacy group are so good at propaganda. They're way better than you. So they're going to find a way to get in there and you just didn't see it coming. And see, isn't this ironic? Because this is exactly what the people creating the message that wrote this entire thing, that's what they're doing. That's what they are doing by writing this. This is what is so ironic about it. So then he, he follows up by saying, you won't get less racist reading this critically, but you're just going to get overloaded and overwhelmed. Poor Joshmo. He's not going to be able to handle it. He's going to go to uh, this website, this message board, and he had good intentions, but as soon as he got there, gosh, this, this, this darn propaganda was so good, he found himself overwhelmed and overloaded with the information. And so Caulfield continues, the goal of disinformation is to capture attention and critical thinking is deep attention. Isn't it funny how the way that they describe it, it's like it's a bad thing critical thinking is deep attention. People learn to think critically by focusing on something and contemplating it deeply to follow the information's logic and the inconsistencies. Now, if that's the description of critical thinking, focusing on something and contemplating it deeply, following the information's logic and the inconsistencies, why would that be a bad thing? Why is the title of this and the subheading of this article, that critical thinking is essentially causing more harm than good? And so he says, people are fighting for your attention, right? And we're in this era of information overload where everybody's vying for your attention. He says he calls it an attention economy. He says it allows conspiracy theorists to take advantage of us. So there's another trigger word misinformation, conspiracy theorists. The whole thing is designed, again, to make you feel a certain thing, believe a certain thing. He said, whenever you give your attention to a bad actor, you allow them to steal your attention from the better things, and it gives them an opportunity to warp your perspective. Because bottom line, you guys, he's saying, you're just not that smart. You are just not capable of being able to sift through this information. I'm so sorry, but you're average, average at best. So it's not your fault. You had these good intentions, but these people, these bad people are taking advantage of you. His answer to all of this is to develop a system that he calls SIFT, S-I-F-T, and he says This is created based on the way that professional fact checkers assess information. Now I know most of you listening are like, wait, what? A professional fact checker? We've seen the kind of fact checking that happens online and it is not unbiased. Everything is designed to fit into the narratives that are acceptable. So if his model of how to think critically is based on what professional fact checkers use then that means it's completely one-sided and this is not really about information and whether or not information is valid so his sift model sift this is how he tells you you need to go through information you need to stop investigate the source find better coverage, and then trace the claims, quotes, and media in the original context. Just, by the way, that's not catchy at all. (laughs) SIFT, S-I-F-T. So Mr. Caulfield walks us through this process on an Instagram post. Now here is example number two. Remember, example number one was a white supremacy group. How are you supposed to feel about that? bad, disgusting, awful people. Everybody can agree upon that, right? So what's the second example they use? An Instagram post by Bobby Kennedy Jr. Why would they put these two examples together? Why do you think? I hope you just said out loud in your car or in your house or wherever you are listening to this because they want to create a negative association. I mean, not so much in those words, but you get what I'm saying. They use the Bobby Kennedy example because the the last example was horrific. So now you're going to use a second one saying that this is bad, and that other one was really bad. Now both of these things are really bad, and Bobby Kennedy is just as bad as that first thing. Again, this is in an effort to make you feel certain ways about things, hoping that by the time somebody reads this article, they come away not only thinking critical thinking is bad, but thinking Bobby Kennedy's bad, too, because he was one of the examples they used. That's icing on the cake for these people, right? He talks about Bobby Kennedy Jr. Now, he calls him an anti-vaccine activist. And God, I just, I'm so sick of this label. An anti-vaccine activist falsely alleging a link between the HPV vaccine and cancer. I love how the author of this already decided this is false. He already decided. So now the reader that's, that's looking at this is going to assume that's a fact. But it's not a fact. Nobody can say that. But the author doesn't have to validate what he is saying. He's allowed to just say something and assume it's true and make people think it's true. So now Mr. Caulfield goes through the Instagram post and he said if this is not an area where I have a big depth of understanding then I want to stop for a second and before going further investigate the source. Okay? So he takes Bobby Kennedy's name from the Instagram post and where does he put it? Into Google search, okay? And he says, so casually, look how fast this is. This is what he says. Look how fast this is. Just in seconds, I can just plug his name into Google. And then where does he go? Where does he go to validate the source because this is all about sifting through bad, inaccurate information on social media? Where does he go to validate that Bobby Kennedy is not a reputable source. Where do they go? They go to Google to type it in, and after Google, that's right, they go to Wikipedia. This digital literacy expert is actually telling you the way you must validate whether or not information is accurate or not is to Google search it and then Wikipedia it. Am I the only one that was told that Wikipedia does not count as a valid source when trying to document and back up your research projects, papers that you wrote in college? Anybody else remember that? And he says, look how easy this is, just 15 seconds. So he said he goes to Wikipedia and scrolls through the introductory section, highlighting the last Sentence which reads, Mr. Kennedy is an anti vaccine activist and a conspiracy theorist. All right, so let's do our soundbite check here. We've got misinformation, conspiracy theorist, anti vaccine, now conspiracy theorist again. You have to repeat this stuff multiple times so it sinks in. This is all about subliminal advertising. So then Caulfield said, well, is Bobby Kennedy really the best unbiased source on information about a vaccine? I'd argue no. He said, and that's good enough to know that we should probably just move on. So why is he not an unbiased source of information about something? Because he's been labeled something on one extreme. Why was he labeled that? Because he does not go along with what the narrative is. So they have decided that everything he says is now misinformation. So therefore, he is no longer a source of information that is valid. Even if everything he's saying about these potential connections or the concerns between HPV vaccine and cancer or other types of side effects and concerns with the HPV vaccine, even if everything he's saying is accurate and it's based on actual data the fact that somebody has labeled him something and somebody has pushed him into a category and somebody has decided that since he doesn't just go along with the narrative then now he becomes an unreliable source of information on a topic that he spends a lot of time discussing. That's how simple it is. They want you to see the quick Instagram post that talks about this. They want you to Google search Bobby Kennedy's name, look on Wikipedia and and look at the the line that somebody wrote, some 16-year-old somewhere who added it to Wikipedia's page, says he's an anti-vaccine activist and a conspiracy theorist. And then they just want you to go, oh, oops, wrong guy. This isn't valid. Let me go somewhere else. But what are they going to think is valid? They're only gonna think that websites that say what they want to say are valid. That is not unbiased information. It's completely biased. They are only greenlighting certain information. So everything else becomes misinformation. And they do this to guide you into a certain belief system. They don't want you going down the rabbit hole. They don't want you thinking critically. They don't even want you to think it's a good idea to think critically about anything. They want you to understand it's risky. They want you to be comfortable just not really questioning anything and just sitting on your couch watching, you know, reality TV while your IQ drops, you know, 3 points every week, they want you to be in that position. Why? The less you think about things, the less you push the boundary, the less you question and wonder and debate with your friends and go back over this and and push yourself to really, you know, understand where you're coming from and open up your horizons and your belief system. The more you do that, the more likely you're going to be To see through all of the crap. To see through what doesn't make sense. To see through the lack of logic. The more tuned in your mind is, the more active and intelligent you are, the less likely you are to be so easily controlled. Again, Not trying to sound like an extremist here, but when you've seen this stuff go down multiple years in a row, and especially this last year, you have to at some point acknowledge it's true. Whether you want it to be or not, it's true. It doesn't matter if you sound what people say sound crazy thinking it. Anything that is outside of the box at this point is labeled crazy. And back to my early point, people want to be accepted so badly. They, they, wanna, they don't want to be the outcast. They don't want to be isolated. They don't want to be called crazy. It hurts people too much that they're willing to swallow their own concerns, put some tape over their mouth, and essentially just stop thinking. And pretend like it doesn't matter that much. So the second part that Mr. Caulfield says is, not only are you going to search the source and say whether or not Wikipedia decides this is valid or invalid, but you're also going to look at what the claim is, okay? So for example, in this case, Bobby Kennedy's post talks about a certain uh, study or a certain claim So he puts that claim into, again, into Google search. And he said the first two results come up from a fact check website and the National Institute of Health. He decides that these quick searches show a pattern that Bobby Kennedy's claims are outside the consensus. A sign that they were motivated by something other than science listen to that sentence. His ideas were outside of consensus. So what? They are now wanting you to believe even being outside of what the main majority of people think is a bad thing. His ideas were outside of consensus and he says being outside of consensus is a sign that they were motivated by something other than science. So what do you think they're saying they're motivated by? If it's not motivated by a scientific discussion, what's it motivated by? I mean, you can already tell the tone of it is something negative. Whatever they're suggesting is it's motivated by something negative. Something greedy, maybe. Something self-serving. I'm sure most people would jump to the conclusion, you know, say, oh, well, this is, must be for money. You know, doing this for money. Motivated by something other than science. Maybe by fame. Maybe by money. Whatever they're suggesting, they're saying. The fact that he goes against consensus is enough of a sign to let you know that this is motivated by something other than science. That is a scary thought. It's a scary thought that you cannot be outside of consensus without assuming you have to be motivated by something nefarious. And that's what they're doing. Making you think this is nefarious. To be outside of consensus is nefarious, dangerous, dark, bad. You know, to the people who don't take time to think about things, you guys, they fall right into this trap. They read this enough or hear this enough, they've already made up their minds of not only Bobby Kennedy... But anybody who ventures outside of consensus isn't being outside of consensus. What has led to the most amazing discoveries and philosophies and changes in our world? When has following consensus ever led to a breakthrough or led to something amazing? There's a reason that that term "sheep" is out there, the herd following the herd, sheep, they don't think. They just follow what other people do. When would that ever lead to something phenomenal? But that's the point. They don't want anything phenomenal. They don't want you to venture out. They don't want you to figure it out. They want you to be Joe Schmo. They want to convince you you're overwhelmed if you get access to information. That's what they want. So then you've got a guy like Mr. Caulfield creating the SIFT method that he says is an actual class that's been picked up by lots of universities across the country. Oh joy. And they're creating a way for people to fact check. The problem is They're doing it by forcing them into a certain narrative to do it. This is not about objective information. And he says, when you're looking at information, he says, you actually make better decisions with less information than with more. Isn't that kind of a scary concept? To try to convince people, oh, you're actually going to do better if you have less information, you'll make better decisions. If you have more, mm, you could make the wrong decision. Again, let's steer people into a certain direction. Let's Let's kind of make them freak out a little bit about what would happen if they went down this path. Let's dramatize it. Let's paint a picture over here so that they just don't go down that road. He says, if you have to read a tweet or see something on social media and spend 15 minutes determining whether or not that this is valid, if it's a source you've never seen before, he said this is going to leave you more confused than you were before. He said he's seen this in the classroom. A student would find a good answer in three minutes, but then keeps going and ends up getting overwhelmed by bad information. So how smart is that person really if... He found some good information in the first three minutes, but then all of a sudden he gets more and he gets overwhelmed now and doesn't know how to respond anymore. Like, are they just saying that we're just that dumb as a society? And I know, I know many of you will say after this last year and a half, the answer to that question, Melissa, is yes. There are so many people that are that dumb. And you know what I'm going to say next? Yes, those are the people driving in their cars by themselves wearing a mask. Now, these people could have good hearts and good intentions, but the reality is they're not using their brains. And maybe they haven't for a long time, but they're certainly not using it now. Those are the prime candidates for the people writing this article. That's who they want. In fact, if, if, if America existed of just those people, oh man, they'd be in heaven. They'd be able to manipulate and control and shift people day and night. They love those people. What they don't love are the people that push back. The people that say, um... Actually, this doesn't make a lot of logical sense. Actually, international data shows us some different stuff. Actually, this is not in alignment with what you said a couple months ago. Actually, this is BS and this is not how the body works. They don't want those people. Remember, they don't want you to go down the rabbit hole. Critical thinking is too risky for the people pulling the strings. So then the author goes on to say, you know, this SIFT program that Caulfield created, the goal isn't to make political judgments or to talk students out of a particular point of view, he says. But isn't it really, though? I mean, come on. You don't think the way they're trying to teach people to label something misinformation has anything to do with a certain particular point of view? You think they're really just doing this because they just want objective information? This is the way to do it? Or do you think they actually believe that? Obviously, the people creating this stuff know better because they're the ones trying to formulate the American public uh, belief system. But do you think these middle-of-the-road people that enforce it actually believe that it's true? They believe that this is really helping. They believe that you can decide what's information and what's misinformation. And somebody gets to decide what's just straight-out false when it's a complicated topic. Can Do you think these people really believe that it's just that black and white? He says it's not about helping people you know push into certain directions about making political judgments or guiding them or talking students out of a particular point of view if you say vaccine injury doesn't exist and discussion of vaccine injury is misinformation then you are absolutely talking people out of a particular point of view that is not objective information now i find this claim very odd he basically says, Caulfield says, that the way that certain people really get you, conspiracy theorists, this is how they get you. He said their tactic, their main tactic is to flatter viewers. He says you overload them with all these debunked claims. Okay, here we go again. There's our soundbite again. Remember, we had misinformation. We had conspiracy theorist, anti vaccine, conspiracy theorist again, and now debunked. Debunked claims and pseudoscience. He said basically, you're going to just, you're an anti vaccine activist, and you're going to just create something that's going to flatter these people by making them think that you're giving them information that they understand. He said, somebody is now treating you like an expert and it's flattering your intellect and so you engage, but you don't stand a chance. Again, he's calling you completely dumb. He's calling you an idiot. Listen, these people are just flattering you, making you think you can even understand this complicated stuff. And because you feel flattered, you're likely to believe it, but it's all misinformation. So he finishes this article by really talking about how our attention is a hot commodity. Our attention is the thing that everybody wants and we have to be better about who we give it to. But the irony here is he's asking for you to give it to them. Give it to them, but don't give it to the outsiders. We want your attention over here. Hey, look. Hey, look at this news broadcast. Hey, look at this radio ad. Hey, look over here. The people with the money, the big money, are part of this PR campaign that is, again, created to develop your belief system. So they're saying, we don't really want you to get your attention lost where it doesn't belong, and that's because they think it only belongs with them. They don't want you stepping outside the box. They don't want you thinking for yourself They don't want you critically thinking at all because it's dangerous, because it's risky, and they especially don't want you going down the rabbit hole. There was a time when debate was celebrated. There was a time when controversial issues were weighed back and forth and back and forth until we came to some type of mutual understanding That is no longer the way that we are allowed to communicate, at least not on a public realm or through social media. Now you see these types of bold and strong and fierce conversations happening privately. People are afraid to have them publicly And people aren't allowed to express themselves with the First Amendment through social media. They told you why, bottom line, why you're not allowed to have access to all the information. You're just not smart enough. You're going to be overwhelmed. And you just can't handle it. They've decided what your capacity is and what it isn't. Anybody should be worried when they hear somebody trying to stop debate, censor discussion, eliminate the ability to argue these points, especially when it comes down to something complicated like a medical intervention or shutting the world down. They don't want people having those conversations yet. The conversations are the only way We stretch and push the mind to come up with solutions that are better than before, different, more unique, more creative. How do you think we get there? We don't get there being on autopilot. We don't get there checking out. We have to, regardless of what your opinion is on whatever topic it is, we have to engage in the debate. It's how we become better and better thinkers. And I know if you're listening to this, you are already one of those people. And that's why I love you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of What They Aren't Telling You. My next couple of episodes are going to be interviews with some nurses across the country. You won't want to miss it taking me a bit to kind of schedule and get it all done but i hope to find some really amazing content so that will be coming soon i might sprinkle in another episode covering something i find interesting in this discussion but keep an eye out for that it's going to be great hope you all are doing well and i'll catch you next time